0: Yeah, you know I'm jazzed up because Solving Healthcare, we're on episode 10 and we are changing the boogie because the boogie's got to change. Let's go. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Kwejo Karamantang. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. People, I am feeling good. I am excited. We are on episode 10, and it's it's a gooder. It is It's awesome. And before jumping into it, I want to talk to you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Once again, I love what these guys are doing. They're online counselors that can provide high quality care from the readiness of your phone, your computer, whatever is most convenient for you. It's affordable. And once again, I love what they're doing. So if you go to betterhelp.com and use the discount code Solving Healthcare, you'll get 10% off and um, check them out for real. Okay, next. I am super excited to tell you about one of the initiatives Dr. Adrian Matheson has developed. You know, the whole point of this podcast is to really create some change. You know, at the beginning of the show, I talk about changing the boogie because the boogie's got to change. We got to... Make this system better. And as a result of that two-parter with Adrian Matheson, there's a program developing that essentially will provide free counseling for kids that are struggling through whether it's ADHD, anxiety, or depression. Services are going to be. More readily available at her clinic. And as this develops further, like I'm, I'm probably going to bring on the show again just to celebrate this win. But knowing that, you know, more kids will be able to have access to the excellent care that they provide is amazing. I just really wanted to make sure you guys hear about that because uh, that's a win. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Cindy Hooper. I can't tell you how incredible this story is. OK, back in 2013, she gets diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And this is one of the few times I'm going to tell you, go ahead and Google the stats on pancreatic cancer. They're horrible. And this woman is alive almost seven years post. And not only she's alive, she's thriving. OK, this person, she went through an Ironman triathlon while on chemotherapy. OK, and. You might be asking yourself, what does this have to do with solving healthcare?" I'll tell you what it has to do with solving healthcare. It's inspirational. It talks about how important having that activity level or exercise in your life, that level of fitness can help you go a long way. And it's just a great story, people. Like she's an incredible human being, is inspiring just hearing her speak. And I can't wait for you guys to hear this story. So... Without further ado, Cindy Hooper. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you. How are you?
1: Good. Happy to be here.
0: Oh, well, I'm sure you are. This is your house. I got to tell everybody, this is one of the most beautiful cribs I've seen in a long time. Mind you, to get here, I I had to fill up my car twice. (laughs) I don't like this is far, but beautiful. Like, uh, what are we looking out on right now?
1: Uh so we're in Canada first of all. We're not out in uh, I don't know where he thinks he drove <laughs> to, but <laughs> we're in Canada Lakes and uh our house backs onto the Canada Beaver Pond, which is uh, an absolutely beautiful area.
0: Yeah. No, it's it's beautiful out here. Um so where to begin? I, I like people need to hear your story. I know you've had a lot of press, a lot of recognition for the your your story, which is amazing. The the fundraising that you've done, but I want the listeners to hear from you. Where did it all start? What happened? How long ago did it all begin? And uh, how are you doing now?
1: Oh, where did it all begin? Um, I guess you don't want me to go all the way back to 1962 when I was born in Churchill. (laughs) You're probably talking about uh, the start in 2013 when I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Yeah. 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 So it was January 2013. I was extremely healthy in really great shape. I just finished an Ironman. And um, in the month of December, I uh, started getting these odd, vague signs and symptoms that something was up, but uh, it was nothing nothing major uh, until my eyes went jaundiced and John thought I might have gallstones. So Mm. he took me into the uh, Ottawa Hospital Civic And uh, had a CT, or no, an ultrasound done, and uh, discovered that I had pancreatic cancer. My good. So that was completely shocking and devastating. Uh, As I said, I had very few signs and symptoms, none of the risk factors, and I also don't have any family history of cancer. So the fact that I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer um, at the age of 50, uh, and in very good uh, health, was extremely shocking for both of us.
0: Yeah, and... Maybe give a sense to like to the listener the prognosis of of getting such a diagnosis.
1: Yeah, pancreatic cancer uh, has an extremely high mortality rate. The average survival is only six months. Seventy five percent of people who get this cancer die within the first year, and five year survival is only nine percent. And mm. there are no ten year survival stats for this cancer.
0: Yeah, and you know I I remember like so I work with her husband, John Hooper, and hearing this news and working in the, in palliative care setting, we were all devastated. We were like shocked, you know, somebody so healthy, so, so fit who made all the right decisions would get such a horrible diagnosis. And, um, yeah, it it was it was a huge shock, and I can't imagine what it would would have been like to hear that for the first time. Um, and what so the so you get this diagnosis, and you know this, you hear the stats. John knows the stats; he's a medical professional. What next? Where, where's your head at? What's your approach to this massive endeavor?
1: You know, it was um. It was so devastating. Uh, I didn't ask a lot of questions. I was terrified. I remember waking up each morning wishing that it was a, a dream or a nightmare and that it wasn't actually happening to me. So, you know, that that lasted for months, this waking up in the morning and just praying that this wasn't happening to me. But, uh, but it was. And uh, within a couple of days, we were back at the Civic for a CT scan. And the purpose of that scan was to take a closer look at everything to find out if I was actually even a candidate for surgery. Hmm. So um, about 80% of people that get diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, it's already spread. And so they can't get surgery. And for them, uh, there isn't a chemotherapy that works very well. And so they have a very, very bad prognosis. So I had a CT scan done pretty quickly and then uh, went to see a a surgeon who would eventually do my surgery. And uh, he told me that I was going to be a candidate for Whipple surgery. So that was the first huge hurdle that we made it over. So uh, it was less than a week after my diagnosis, I was in the Civic for Whipple surgery, Mm -hmm. which uh, my surgery uh, lasted seven and a half hours. They removed uh, half my pancreas, a third of my stomach, gallbladder, bile duct, and all of my duodenum. Wow. And uh, I was in hospital for 10 days with nothing to eat or drink during that entire time, Uh, two epidurals to try to control pain, which both failed, unfortunately. So then I was put onto narcotics, which gave me hallucinations, nightmares, vomiting. It was horrible. And uh, after 10 days... Uh, I was allowed to go home, and then uh, that was the beginning of my uh, six weeks of recovery from surgery.
0: Wow. And maybe give us a sense of your recovery process. And the reason I want to mention this is because we really haven't talked about how fit you were before going into surgery. And I, I, I think that kind of, that level of fitness which not many people have but the the fact that you were fit the mindset going in i think has contributed was a big contributor to your recovery so maybe give us a sense of how how fit you were or still are to be honest with you uh
1: so before my diagnosis i um i was doing triathlons swim bike run and um Four months before my diagnosis, I had just done my first Ironman triathlon, which is a four-kilometer swim, 180-kilometer bike, and then a marathon, which is a 42-kilometer run. And uh, I had trained very hard for that Ironman, and I did very well. I was hoping to qualify for the Ironman World Championships in Hawaii. Uh, So I met my time goal in that Ironman, but I missed uh, qualifying for Hawaii by only one place. So I made it my goal to do another Ironman and go back to the next one and qualify for Hawaii. So, uh, so that first Ironman was in August of 2012 and I registered for another one pretty quickly the following summer, August, 2013, which would be in Whistler, BC, that's Ironman Canada. So I spent the fall of 2012, uh, doing a lot of training, a lot of swimming, biking and running, you know, really pushing, pushing my limits and trying to improve my fitness, and so it was only in December of 2012, which would have been, yeah, three, four months after my Ironman that I started getting these vague signs and symptoms. So when I was diagnosed, I was in really, really good shape, like like top-notch Ironman shape. So after my surgery, when I was released from the hospital, uh, I was still in a lot of pain. I was on uh, narcotics to control pain for five weeks uh, after I got home. But despite that, I was still getting outside, going for walks every day. And uh, of course, I'd go for my walk with my garment on because I wanted to uh, sort of have a record of what I was doing, Mm -hmm. uh, which is just a normal thing for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd have my garment on and, you know, the first day I'd go for a one-kilometer walk and then a two-kilometer. First day home. uh, Maybe the second day home. Second day home, a one-kilometer walk. And then the next day I'd do two kilometers and then I'd try to you know, just make the walks longer and longer and then throw in a little bit of jogging here and then. So I was walking, uh, quite a, quite a bit pretty quickly after my surgery. And of course I wanted to start swimming again, but I couldn't because of the, um, incisions and I had a drain in my stomach. So I had to wait for all that to come out, but I was back in the pool five weeks after my surgery. Wow. And, uh, cycling, you know, it was January and I don't really like indoor cycling anyway. So I was happy to wait till the spring to get back on my bike. But, um, yeah, it's just very normal for me to be active and swimming, biking, or running every single day. And so when I was released from the hospital, that was just normal for me to want to do that. And
0: I got to give people the sense of how major of a surgery that was like you alluded to all the, the, um, elements of your surgery, but a seven hour surgery for where you have an abdominal incision and I would, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I would imagine recovery for most people that undergo such a surgery, we're talking weeks, you know, and, and you mentioned your your epidural didn't work. So having to use systemic narcotics to, to manage your pain, which also has like systemic you know, side effects as a result too. Like that's heavy. And Cindy, you were in hospital moving. I'm, I'm pretty, I feel like I saw you in hospital. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but moving like you were getting out of bed early. Oh yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like- well,
1: we, they got me up out of bed on uh post-op day one, which apparently is quite normal um, to get up out of bed and sit in a chair. But um, after that I was wanting to get up and walk up and down the halls and uh, Again, just my, you know, type A competitive personality. I just wanted to do a little bit more and more every day Yeah, start feeling better.
0: So like that mindset you had of just, you know, this is a huge challenge or obstacle. I don't know what the appropriate word is. It's a huge endeavor, but I'm going to make the steps each day to get myself better.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Wow. So... You know, we get you. You get out of hospital. You, you know, what's next? You're getting yourself stronger. You're talking about swimming, biking, running. You, you got to deal with chemo and and rads um, at some point. There's some dream about still doing an Ironman. Yeah, if I'm not correct, You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So w- what happened next?
1: So. Um... So I had six weeks to recover from surgery, uh, five of those weeks still on narcotics to control pain. And so finally, on the sixth week, I started to feel better. And I was that's when I had to start chemotherapy. Mm. So uh, I had 18 rounds of IV in hospital chemotherapy. Uh, Once a week, every Monday at noon, I would go in for chemotherapy, I'd have three sessions, three weeks, and then have a week off. So my plan was to continue to swim and and walk, jog during chemotherapy and uh, hoping that on the week that I had off chemotherapy, I'd feel a lot better and I'd be able to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It didn't quite work that well. <laughs> I, I, as I said, I kind of hoped that that third week that I had off, I'd feel better and be able to do more, but it was actually the reverse because um, that third week is actually time off to let your body recover from the three weeks of chemotherapy, right? Mm-hmm. So I would actually feel better on my first week of chemotherapy because I'd have had the week to recover. So anyways, um, yeah, we did that cycle. Uh, I Started chemotherapy mid-February and I had chemotherapy right through until mid-September and in April uh, the chemotherapy was interrupted for a week uh, a month because I had to go for 28 days of radiation mm-hmm. so every weekday for a month uh, that was done at the Queensway and um While I was doing radiation, instead of having the IV chemotherapy, I was taking pills, uh, oral chemotherapy. And uh, I actually felt really good during that month. It's funny now because I look back on radiation as, oh, wow, radiation is super easy. Just because, you know, I'm comparing it to how horrible the surgery was, which for me, that was the worst part. And then chemotherapy was pretty bad as well. So radiation, having the break from the IV chemotherapy just seemed like it was uh, a a bit of a breeze. And I I was telling you earlier that I actually rode my bike in to go to some of my radiation appointments at the (laughs) Queensway because I was feeling so much better during that time. And it was uh, just such a relief to be able to be a little bit more active for that month.
0: I don't know if I've ever heard of somebody cycling to the radiation treatment. They must have did they know you you were cycling? Yeah, in? a
1: couple of them knew. Yeah. <laughs> what
0: would they say?
1: Oh, they couldn't believe it. Just <laughs> wow, you rode your bike here? Wow, that's amazing.
0: So you you know, you're going through all these tough treatments. You're you're By the way, you also mentioned before we started, you didn't miss a single chemo treatment.
1: Yeah, I was which, very lucky.
0: Which is um as far as I'm concerned, unheard of, really, you know, just to give people a sense, often your counts, your cell counts, so your white cells, your, your blood levels, uh, your platelets can be affected by the chemo and they want to make sure that, you know, your levels are safe enough to be, to receive a further rounds of chemo. Uh, and most often there's going to be one or more cycles that you miss. And, um,
1: yeah, so, so oh, I'd get indeed. chemotherapy on Monday at noon, and every Friday I would have to go into the lab to have blood drawn. Right, mm. so I'd get the blood drawn on Friday. I guess they'd uh, it would get processed, and the physicians would see it Monday morning, and I would either get the yes or no Monday morning if I was going in for chemo uh, mm-hmm. that afternoon. And it was always it, it was always yes, you're coming in. Everything's good, and. I could see all my blood counts dropping, right? Within Mm -hmm. the three weeks, each time they would drop. And then I'd have the week off and they'd come up just a little bit. And then they'd drop three more times, even to a further level. And then they'd come up just a little bit. So each three-week block, they would drop further and further and further. And in my last, second last cycle... The second one actually did drop below the level that was acceptable, but Mm -hmm. they said I was doing so well and I was strong and feeling good that they did it anyways. And so I was very fortunate not to miss any chemos.
0: Wow. Wow. So then we, and I might be skipping a step or two, but then we hit an Ironman. Oh. Is this is this is this about the time? The Iron timeline? Man.
1: So Iron Man was in uh, late August, and I started my chemotherapy in February. So February, six months, chemotherapy starts, and in April I had the radiation for the entire month, and then back onto chemotherapy in May, June, July. So it was. Actually, pretty early on, it was probably in around February or March, I went into the hospital to see my surgeon for a follow up appointment. And I was already registered for Ironman Canada. I I didn't register for an Ironman after being diagnosed with cancer. To me, that would be crazy. (laughs) I had registered for Ironman Canada back in September um, of 2012. So don't forget, I'm already registered for an Ironman and I've gone through my surgery. I've gone through my five weeks of recovery after my surgery and I'm starting to feel a little bit better, right? I haven't started chemotherapy yet and I have no idea what to expect. So I go into the hospital to see my surgeon for follow-up appointment and I say to him, so listen, I'm registered for an Ironman that's going to take place in Whistler, BC in August. That's like, I don't know, six months away. Do you think I might be able to still do it? And he just looked at me with this, I don't know what I would describe his face. It was, I don't, I guess I interpreted like, Oh, he doesn't know what an Ironman is because he's got this really quizzical questioning look on his face. So I say to him, oh, an Ironman, it's a four-kilometer swim, 180-kilometer bike ride, and then a marathon. Do you think I might still be able to do it in August? I'm already registered for it, and uh, I'd like to give it a try. And his response was, Cindy, I don't even know why a healthy person would want to do that, (laughs) let alone someone that's about to go through radiation and chemotherapy. Oh, my God.
0: I'm kind of with him, though. Um, But he didn't say
1: no. So I took that as a, oh, okay, let's just give it a try. And um, so I'm pretty sure he and John were having some conversations in the background. uh, Because I certainly got the sense that John was watching carefully to make sure that any swimming, biking, walking, jogging, running that I did do, uh, wasn't unsafe, wasn't pushing me into a place where I was overly exerting myself and overly tired. Because you know, we all agreed that the number one priority were my treatments. My mm-hmm. number one priority was not training for an Ironman. It was getting through chemotherapy and radiation safely uh, to give me the best shot at surviving from this disease. So John was definitely watching to make sure that uh, I was staying safe and uh, resting when I needed to and only training when I was feeling good. Uh, in fact, we were... um out on a bike ride that was a very, very important bike ride. We were supposed to be going 150 kilometers. So the bike in an Ironman is 180 kilometers. And typically you ride up to 150, 160. So this was going to be the longest bike ride that I was going to do in preparation for the race. And we decided to do it by registering for the Grand Fondo here in Ottawa. And we were doing the ride with a bunch of our friends. So there was about I don't know, 15 or 16 of us doing this. So I had paid to do the Grand Fondo. And it was my goal to do the entire 150 kilometers. And we were out, I don't know where, pretty far outside of Ottawa. We'd already done 120 kilometers. And I was starting to get really tired. And John knows me very well. And he knows that when I get overly tired, I stop talking. Mm. And then I get really cranky. (laughs) And he tries to get me to eat something because as those of you who train know, uh, you know, your blood sugar is running low and that's why you run out of energy and you start getting cranky. So he would try to hear Cindy eat this, eat this, eat this. Anyway, I got to the point where I was refusing to eat anything and I was in a pretty bad mood and he just, we pulled over to the side of the road and he said, you're done. You're stopping. Hmm. And I was like, what? I can't stop. I'm only at 120 kilometers. I have to do 150. And look, we're out in the middle of nowhere. How am I going to get home? He says, That's simple. We're going to call one of your sons, and he's going to come out here with a car, and he's going to pick you and your bike up, and he's going to take you back home. And I was so upset. I started crying and pleading with him to let me keep going. And uh, he just was adamant that it was too much. And that happened a couple of times. And so um, he was definitely watching over me, and, you know, Obviously, once I got home and started feeling better, I knew that that was the right decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was our training, and I trained when I could. I did what felt good at the time, and uh, you know, there was a number of times when I was at home, sitting on the couch. Usually, I'd get my chemotherapy on uh, Monday at noon, so I, I drove myself to and from chemotherapy. I I, um, I didn't enjoy going to it, and it kind of put me in a bad mood and I just didn't want people around me. So I had tons of friends and family offering to drive me and stay with me. Uh, I did that for the first two sessions. Then I was like, no, I just want to be by myself. I'm in a bad mood. I don't enjoy this. So I would drive myself to chemotherapy. I would come home. I'd feel good for a couple of hours, but by the time John got home at five o'clock, oh, it was just horrible feeling like I was going to vomit And basically have to spend the entire evening laying on the couch with a big bowl, just waiting to uh, vomit. Mm. Um, But by the next day, I would start to feel a little bit better. I would still lay pretty low on a Tuesday. Tuesday evenings, we would go to swim. And I would go to the swim with John, because if I didn't go, he would stay home with me. And we swam at a really nice outdoor pool. So I would go with him. If I felt good, I'd swim. And if I didn't feel good, I'd sit on a lounge chair while he swam. But by Wednesday, um, I started to feel a lot better. Uh, I would still feel nauseous, but not to the point where I thought I was going to vomit. Just, you know, you stand up and it's like, oh, that doesn't feel very good. And I remember one day, I think it was on a Wednesday, I was sitting at home on my couch, probably laying on my couch, feeling really horrible. And my kids at the time were still at home. And my son came up to me and he said, mom, why aren't you outside on your bike? What are you doing? laying around the house in the middle of the day. And I say, Chris, I just had chemo, you know, two days ago. I don't feel very good. Right. And he says, yeah, but mom, you always feel better when you're outside. You always feel better when you're outside exercising. So I think maybe you should give it a try. So I kind of rolled my eyes and got all my gear together and went out on my bike. And sure enough, you know, the sunshine, the wind on your face just made me feel so much better. And uh, that's basically how I approached my training you know, Wednesday to Sunday and then Monday morning because I knew I was going in for chemo at noon. Monday morning was always my biggest workout of the week because it was, you know, six days away from having chemo and uh, that's when I would feel the best. So I'd always do a a good run, walk, jog type thing on Monday morning before going back in for my next chemo. And that was my routine.
0: Wow. So clearly one of the most active (laughs) chemo patients of all time. I mean, I even, I hear that and I mean... I'm relatively in shape and I'm exhausted hearing that. Um, And so you end up making it. You end up going to do the Canadian Ironman.
1: Yeah. So we flew out to Whistler and uh, it was John and I, and uh, there was a bunch of our friends doing it with us as well. And John had uh, said that he was going to stay with me through the entire swim, bike and run mainly for safety purposes to make sure that if I got into a place where I was too tired, that he would tell me to stop. Mm -hmm. And we had to make that agreement before the race even started that if he said I was done, I had to stop. And so I agreed to that. So, you know, when we went out to Whistler, we really didn't think I would be able to complete an Ironman. Um, You know, the training the training you always do it in these separate pieces you never come close in training to to doing a full ironman distance and even before i got sick when i did my first ironman my thought was oh my god like how am i going to do this it's it's no kidding. it's huge right so you know here we are thinking about going out to to whistler bc to do ironman canada i'm between my 15th and 16th rounds of chemotherapy uh, my blood counts are very low i'm very tired So our thought was, I'm going to at least do the swim. I knew I could do the swim. It's a four-kilometer swim, and we had swam quite a bit all summer in Meach Lake. And I love swimming, and I'm a strong swimmer. So we knew I would be able to get the swim done. And then for the bike ride, uh, the bike ride was uh, you go out one way for about 60 kilometers, and then you come back to Whistler Village, and you go the other way for the remainder. So we thought I probably could do the first... 60 kilometers of the bike ride.
0: 60 kilometers, people.
1: (laughs) So that was the plan. The plan was let's do the swim. I can at least be a part of it. Uh, Let's hopefully be able to do the 60 kilometers of the bike ride. And then, you know what, we'll just see what happens from there. And so the swim went surprisingly well. I came out of the swim 10 minutes faster than anticipated, which was great because getting a 10 minute faster swim meant I had 10 minutes more to do the bike because there's a cutoff, you have to finish the bike by a certain time of day, or else they take you off the course. So uh, John was there waiting for me, he's a much faster swimmer than I am. So we head out on the bike course together. We do the first 60 kilometers, we come riding back into Whistler Village, lots of people there cheering for us. And John says, what do you want to do? I'm like, well, let's give the second part of the bike ride a shot. So I um, So the second part of the bike, the first part is really fun because you go down a series of hills, down, 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 down into Pemberton Valley. You do this really long out and back, and then you have to come back up the hills to get back to Whistler Village. So um, I'll just tell you a, a fun little thing that happened. We go down the hills, we're going out into Pemberton Valley, and if you can picture it, it's extremely flat. Uh, you can see for kilometers ahead, and there's all these farms along both sides with these long driveways going out to the farms. We could see really far ahead. And as we're approaching one of the farms, at the end of the driveway, there's this big group of people, big, like 20, 30 people, and there's holding these really big signs. Mm-hmm. So as we approach, I'm looking at the sign. John's ahead of me. I'm looking at the sign, and one of the signs says, Go Cindy Go. And Cindy is <laughs> spelt with an S, and my name is spelt with an S, and I'm thinking, Whoa, that must be for me. So I yell up to John, did you see that sign? I think that sign was for me. (laughs) And he says, yeah, I saw it. He says, it will stop on the way back. It's like an out and back in Pemberton Valley. So we go to the turnaround. We come back. We get to the driveway. We go over to that side of the road. We stop. We unclip. And we stand there looking at the people. And they're looking confused. And I say, I'm Cindy. Cindy." Your (laughs) sign. It says, go, Cindy, go. So they were like jumping up and down for joy. They had heard my story. Uh, Global News did a really fantastic piece on on the news that was national before we went to Whistler about my attempt to do this Ironman. And so they had heard it and they were out at the end of the driveway uh, hoping to see me. So we stayed and chatted for a little bit. And then John was like, "Uh, Cindy, we got to go. We have a time cut off if you want to make it back. So we said bye, and then we had to go up this series of hills to get back to Whistler Village, and it was incredibly hard. Uh, I just kept saying to John, we're not going to make it, we're not going to make it, and he kept saying, oh, we're going to make it, we're going to make it. And I find out now the reason he said that is because we would go up a hill, and at the top of the hill he would stop me to make me eat something, Hmm. right, keep my energy levels going, and he knew that if I thought there was going to be close on the timeline I wouldn't want to stop and eat so go up a little hill stop and have something to eat go up another hill stop and have something to eat did that all the way back we get to Whistler Village 15 minutes before the bike cut off
0: oh here we go oh my goodness
1: well I had a ton of family and friends there they were cheering like crazy there was a lot of people that had heard my story on global news so many people cheering for me and we come in and John says, so what do you want to do? And I said, well, let's go out on the marathon course and see what happens. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Oh so we God. go into the change tent, we get into our run gear and um, we head out on the marathon course. And uh, I'm just showing quad here, a picture that a friend of ours took. This is us. Coming out of the transition area about to try to tackle the marathon.
0: You, you look unbelievably happy and fresh. <laughs>
1: I know. I look after. at the picture and I think, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh my so God. that was us after a four kilometer swim and 180 kilometer bike ride and run, going kind of walking, jogging out of transition. Mm. So the marathon at Ironman Canada is a two-loop course. It's relatively flat, thank goodness. Uh, so twenty-one kilometers each loop, and the idea is that we would walk. Yeah, to complete a marathon in the in the timeline, which is uh, seven hours at at an Ironman, um, you can do it with a series of walking and jogging. It has to be a pretty brisk walk. Uh, but you do have to be able to jog a portion of it. So our plan was to brisk walk most of it, and whenever there was a downhill, to try to jog through the downhills. And so, I don't know, I felt surprisingly good. It was crazy. And uh, we went through the first loop quick enough that John said to me, Cindy, you can walk the entire second loop, and you're going to finish. Uh, wow. So the Ironman timeline is you have 17 hours to complete it. Mm-hmm. Um, You start at 7 a.m. and the cutoff is at midnight. And anybody who finishes after midnight is not an official finisher. So he just said to me, we are going to walk the second loop. I don't want you to push things. You're going to finish. And there's no sense exerting yourself any more than you have to. So we walked the entire second loop. It got dark. I had never done a race before in the dark. And uh, the crazy thing is that there was so many people... Um, coming up to us, other competitors and just people watching coming up to us saying they heard my news, my story on the news, and they were there to cheer for me and wish me good luck. And some of them would walk along with us. It was wow. unbelievable. It was so nice.
0: I, I like, I got to put some context into all this, people. So we have Cindy Hooper who gets this horrible diagnosis goes through extensive abdominal surgery, goes through chemotherapy, goes through radiation, goes through Iron Man, and finishes it. Yeah, unbelievable. Un- like it's like I don't I I don't know if I could even compare this to anything. You know what kind of an accomplishment this was. You know it's truly is amazing it's so it's so i want to say it's a miracle that you were able to do I, but it just says so much about you like what 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 make what, what you're made out of you know that mindset that will that that um that drive to get better the drive to compete i Even now, I've known you for a long time. I I still speechless when it comes to hearing this story. You know, Cindy just brought another picture. Is is this you crossing?
1: Yeah, Uh, we're about uh, 10 feet from the finish line. This photo was taken by Iron Man. They also knew uh, what was going on. And they took this picture about 10 feet from the finish line. And it was just... uh, (laughs)
0: And I can't, unbelievable oh, like what's going through your head as you as you're crossing the line just
1: couldn't believe it i was so excited so happy um we we had set a goal to try to do some um fundraising and trying to raise awareness of pancreatic cancer as we were doing the training and and coming out to do this race and all i thought was oh my goodness this is going to get us more media attention we're going to be able to impact so many more people by having completed this race
0: oh man and that you did and i mean maybe that's a natural transition to talking about what you've been able to accomplish in terms of fundraising it's been i mean it's been incredible maybe you could speak a little bit in terms of some of the accomplishments from that perspective
1: uh, so as a result of Ironman Canada, uh, we we raised $50,000 for pancreatic cancer research. And then, uh, so that was in 2013. And then the following year, I decided that I wanted to continue to try to raise money for the Ottawa Hospital. And um, I chose the Ottawa Hospital because, I mean, it's basically the hospital that saved my life. Mm-hmm. And I had heard about some research that was going on at the hospital basically it's um oncolytic virus research it's uh dr john bell's lab and his team they are developing viruses to kill cancer so Mm -hmm. the uh the goal is that one day these viruses would replace traditional chemotherapy uh these viruses would have substantially fewer side effects and be way more effective than chemotherapy. And uh, the way Dr. Bell described it to me is that these oncolytic viruses would have the potential to combat really tough cancers like pancreatic cancer that don't currently have a chemotherapy that works. Mm -hmm. And so when I heard this, I, I mean, that's just a huge, huge amount of hope for me Mm -hmm. because uh, we do expect that my cancer will come back. And when it does come back, there's no more surgery that I can have. There's no cure and there's no treatment that works. So when I heard that he was working on a new treatment that could potentially fight tough cancers like pancreatic cancer and maybe offer a cure... I was completely excited about that and it gave me a lot of hope. So I decided that I wanted to raise money uh, for his lab and for the research that he was doing.
0: Yeah. And it's unbelievable because I I mean, just to echo what Cindy mentioned, you know, going through chemo is not easy physically and the amount of side effects can be incredible. Like we end up seeing a lot of patients in the intensive care unit because, you know, chemo... takes away your immune system. You get uh, more likely to have infections as a result. And so when, and when those infections happen, they can be quite severe, you know, and, and people ending up in the intensive care unit. And so any endeavor that can reduce that risk and actually provide a cure option, you know, needs to be, pursued needs to be uh celebrated and so yeah i think the work that uh, dr bell is doing is incredible and um i might be talking out of my butt here but i think there's a lot of um uh in mel- in melanoma research i believe that this the the advances with the on- on- oncologic viruses are, are coming along well so um yeah, I think this is very important work. And, uh, you know, we'll give some, uh, we'll reference some show notes to some of the work that they're doing as well. Um, and, you know, you mentioned, I just want to give you all the props you deserve. So you mentioned 50,000, uh, raised 50,000 at the Ironman Canada, but you've also raised more money for the Ottawa hospital. Do you have an idea of how much you've been able to, uh, how much you've been able to raise?
1: So it's been about $300,000 that we've raised for the hospital since. Um, I think the most, well, all the years have been fun. But in 2014, that was the first year that uh, I started doing fundraising for the hospital. And uh, I wanted to do something epic, something special. And so I set a goal to try to recruit 100 of my family and friends to run the Ottawa Marathon with me. And the goal would be that we would raise $50,000 for Dr. Bell's research. So I started trying to recruit people to run a marathon. And you can imagine most of my family and friends were like, "Uh, you know, how far is a marathon? And when I told them it was 42.2 kilometers, the initial reaction was like, "Uh, no. And I said, hey, you don't have to run the whole thing. You've got five hours to finish it. And you can finish a marathon by walking parts of it and jogging the other parts. And I said to them, you know, I completed a marathon as part of an Ironman while I was on chemotherapy. I'm
0: sorry. It's like, hey, if I'm doing this... On chemo and reds, you should be able to do at least a third of the of a draft or an iron or an Ironman with me. Like exactly, uh, yeah, no, exactly. You're completely healthy.
1: (laughs) You don't have to do a four kilometer (laughs) swim and a hundred and eighty kilometer bike. I'm just asking you to do the marathon part, and you have five hours to do it.
0: Yeah, get off your arse, yeah.
1: So, um, so my goal was to get 100, 100 people, and I got a lot of people saying, "Well, how about a half marathon? We, you know, we don't all have to do the marathon. Some could do the marathon, some could do the half marathon." And John even said to me, "You know, Cindy, maybe you want to consider letting people." No, no, no. If I did a marathon as part of an Ironman while on chemotherapy, you know, any of my family or friends that can right now walk two kilometers. You can do a marathon in five hours. So people like my mom, who's in her 80s, she's she's not capable. And my sister, she has some physical disability, so she can't do it. But you know what? Everybody else that I know, you guys, you can walk two kilometers, you could yeah. do you could do a marathon. So I persisted, and in the end, I managed to convince 136 people to do the marathon with me. 130 of the 136 crossed the finish line. Wow! And I would say 120 of them told me they would never do another marathon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my
0: god! My two
1: sons, uh, who were at the time in their mid twenties, uh, said, "Oh yeah, mom, we'll do the marathon with you." They're they're uh, very active, and they play hockey. They play. Um, basketball so they didn't do any run training but they figured hey we're young and we're pretty active we can do this
0: we got this
1: well they just barely got to the finish line by the cutoff and they were not walking very well at that point <laughs> and for two weeks after they were having a tough time walking and they were like oh my goodness mom we will never do that again so the next year in 2015, uh, I wanted to do something again at Ottawa race weekend, but so many people had said they would never run another marathon with me. I decided, okay, I better open this up. Hmm. So for the next, uh, next years after 2014, uh, I do, uh, I form teams for Ottawa race weekend, which is in May. And people on my team have the option of completing any distance at Ottawa Race Weekend. So there's a 2k, 5k, 10k, and then a half marathon and marathon. And I've had various sizes of teams over the years, and we have raised quite a bit of money every every year since. But um, through Ottawa Race Weekend and uh, the Ottawa Hospitals Run for a Reason campaign. Uh, my team, which is now called MEMC, which stands for Make Every Moment Count, we've raised close to three hundred thousand dollars for the hospital.
0: Unbelievable, unbelievable, and uh, I I love the, the the putting things into context. You know, I did this on chemo, and rads you guys could get off your butts and and uh, and help us out. I I I think it's truly remarkable, unbelievable how much you've raised and, and uh, yeah, I want to commend you for that. So our show's called solving healthcare. You know, we, you know, the reason I wanted you on the show is one to celebrate your accomplishments and inspire a lot of people that are going through anything close to similar to what you went through, but there's gotta be, there's some lessons here. I think that we could, we could take away. And one of the things I wanted to, commend or, or or point out was how your, your fitness allowed you to be where you are today or at least be part of why you're here today and maybe you could speak a bit towards that like not everyone out there including myself can run an or do an Ironman or even run a marathon like I'm telling you right now I would you'd be like John would be having to treat me for every ailment ever—a broken hip, torn hamstring—you know—I'll just be crying on the side of the road. Uh, but what? What? It, how much do you think this contributed to your scenario? Like you're six years, ten months from your diagnosis. How much do you think your the fitness was an element of of where you are now?
1: I think the fitness was a big part of how I've managed to survive pancreatic cancer this long. It certainly was a huge factor in how well I recovered from surgery and how well I made it through chemotherapy and radiation. So my surgeon said that, um, you know, first of all, the surgery was a lot easier because I'm so lean uh, I guess it makes doing the actual surgery a lot easier. And then after in hospital, you know, they try to get you up quickly. They try to get you walking quickly. All those things, they have a a huge impact on how well you recover from a big surgery. And so it was just easier for the staff to get me up and get me up walking because I was motivated to do that. And it was just part of my, my normal routine. So because I got up moving and walking really quickly after surgery that enabled me to recover quickly from surgery and get onto my chemotherapy routine, uh, quickly as well. And then with chemotherapy, my chemotherapy doctor had said to me that I would expect to miss at least one chemotherapy, if not two or three, because of how devastating it is on blood counts. But, uh, I didn't miss any. I Mm -hmm. was able to get in all 18 rounds as scheduled. And, you know, she said that that is very rare that that happens. And she attributed that to as well to my fitness and the fact that I was staying very active through my treatments. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think that that my fitness played a big role in my recovery from surgery and getting through chemotherapy, chemotherapy and radiation And I would encourage anyone, you know, I mean, even somebody that's not going through anything, you know, just be, try to be fit, try to be healthy. Um, You know, you don't have to be doing marathons or Ironmans, but, you know, half an hour of exercise, at least four or five times a week, whatever you enjoy, you know, Mm -hmm. whether that's walking or cycling or gardening, you know, all these are various forms of exercise and being fit is, is extremely important um, in maintaining your good health. And if you get sick in how well you're going to be able to cope with that sickness Mm -hmm. and for people going through cancer, uh, going through chemotherapy treatment, I know that the first feeling is to just lay on the couch because, you know, we do, we feel so tired and so nauseous, and so horrible going through chemotherapy that that is the natural thing to do. And that's what most people do. I mean, when I was going in for my chemo follow ups, and I would tell my doctor what I was doing, they were just astounded because, you know, she would say that most people that are going through chemotherapy just spend most of the time on the couch in the house, being very inactive. So I would encourage everybody, you know, going through chemotherapy, radiation, or whatever, whatever treatment it is, just try to stay active, try to get outside the fresh air on your face, the Mm -hmm. sunshine just makes you feel so much better. Just go for a little walk. It doesn't have to be far, even if it's just, you know, 15 minutes, do what you can to keep moving, stay Mm -hmm. active, stay healthy. And I think it will make a big, big difference for everybody.
0: I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think not only is patients that stay active, are they physically stronger and, and able to deal with more adversity? I also think like the amount, uh, the effect it has psychologically, like, as you mentioned, being outside, having that sunshine, not, and I I'm, I'm just, I don't want to speak for you, but also like, when you're lying down on the couch, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about all this potential negative outcomes and so on. When you're staying active, you you're, it allows you to have a more positive mindset as well, you know, and being in the moment, being able to appreciate your surroundings.
1: And just I, something different to focus on. Right. Yeah. I think you're right. When I would be in the house laying on the couch, I'm thinking about, Oh my goodness, you know, how did I get cancer? Why me? Why did this happen? Um, Oh, I have to go for another chemotherapy next week. I feel so sick. I feel horrible. I think I'm going to throw up again. Mm -hmm. You know, I would go outside. And as soon as I'm outside walking or swimming or biking, what am I thinking about? Oh, this feels so much better. You know, how much activity can I do? What are my chances of being able to do this Ironman? It Mm -hmm. just gave me something to think about, something to focus on other than my cancer. And when I was outside being active, I was with my family or friends, Mm -hmm. right? I wasn't alone by myself sitting on the couch. And I was in with a group of people that was being active. And it just, you're right. It it just gives you a much more positive mindset. And I think that's huge.
0: Yeah. And I I also want to emphasize like, even if you got a a terminal illness, I think there's some positive, like, this is still worth going through. Because, you know, I actually think what you're doing, your approach, will improve your quality of life. Maybe, even like, also your quantity of life, but also your quality of life. The, the experiences you're having while going through such a tough time. You know, um, so there is a lot of upside of being active. Being around people, getting outside. So yeah, I really I really hope the listener takes that to heart. So Cindy, any other lessons or, or anything else you've learned going through all of this craziness in the last almost seven years that you'd want the listener to to know about?
1: I think the biggest thing that's changed for me and my husband John is how we look at life. It is so completely different than the way we used to look at life. I mentioned before that there aren't any ten-year survival stats for pancreatic cancer, and I'm at six years and ten months. So, you know, I just feel like every month that passes is another mat- month that I'm cheating death. Really. Mm-hmm. I go for CT scans every six months to check for cancer return. And these scans are extremely scary. And every time we get the news that cancer hasn't returned, it's just this huge relief and celebration, celebration of life. And we're just so thankful that Every six months, I get this incredible news that I'm going to get another six months. And so we just look at this next six months as this huge gift. And we think and we plan on how we want to spend that time. You know, where where do we want to travel to? Who do we want to spend time with? What do we want to do? Maybe this is going to be the last six months that we have to do this and so our life is much more intentional much more grateful Mm. and we just stop thinking and worrying about the little things that people shouldn't spend time (laughs) worrying about you Mm. know so it's just really made our life so much richer than it used to be wow and I guess I just wish that everybody could live life like this. Mm. It's it's a shame that you have to go through such a horrible experience and I guess continue to have this threat of a cancer coming back to be able to appreciate life. But I guess I just wish that everybody could live life a little bit more gratefully and with a more positive outlook and be more thankful for the things that they do have instead of, you know, wishing for more or putting off things. You know, a lot of people mm. put off. I, I say to people, my, I've, I've traveled a lot since getting sick. And uh, my favorite place on earth still is Hawaii. It's uh, such an incredible place. And I say to people that, you know, they're thinking about planning a trip. Well, have you been to Hawaii? And they'll say, no they're like oh but it's so far and you know you have to take two weeks off work to go there I'm like you have to do it like it's it's incredible it's beautiful and you might never ever get the chance right whether it's because you're getting older and you might not be able to travel or you might get sick or something might happen and you know I think people do that a lot they put things off because they think they have so much time Hmm. I remember before I got sick I used to think about You know, when I, what I was going to do when I was 85, I used to think about, oh, it's going to be so great when my kids get married, I'm going to get to go to their wedding and I'm going to get to, you know, play with their kids and have grandchildren. You just, everybody just assumes that they're going to live, you know, for a long time. That's, that's natural. But as soon as something happens to you like this, you don't think like that anymore. No. I never think about, you know, 10 years from now, I So, you know, that part is really hard because it's scary, but um, it certainly makes John and I live life a lot more intentionally. And that's, that's the gift. That's the really good part of this.
0: You must see a lot of beauty in other things too. Like just all the little things are that much more meaningful.
1: It's like everything is magnified. Yeah, You know, when there's a really beautiful sunny day, you're just so thankful for it and being able to experience it and and have another day, have another month. Like it's huge. It's huge. Every 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 fall when we close the pool, I watch the pool guys closing it, just thinking, oh, please let me be here next summer, healthy mm-hmm. to be able to enjoy another summer. And then after Christmas, putting away the Christmas tree, same thing. I'm putting away the Christmas tree and my only thought is please let me be able to be here next year to put the tree up again. Oh my god. So, you know, it's continuous, it never ends and uh like I said it's pretty scary, but it really is uh it really is a beautiful way to live life. Wow.
0: I like to think that being in our line of work that we 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 take that to heart, but you know, sometimes you need reminders like this. You know, I you know in our line of work obviously we we see people passing, you know, without warning or, you know, uh, on on a fairly regular basis. And so we try and learn from that, but hearing this, I mean, I was even telling you before we started, when we had our pre-interview, you're telling, telling me how, when people cut you off, like you're less likely to react or whatever, I still cuss out those guys. I, I need to, I need to work on that. I'm like, choose a velocity. Um, but, um, It's really good to hear, be reminded of this, because we all need to hear it. We all need to be more grateful. We all need to appreciate more of the little things. We're here for a short time. We don't know how long we're here for. I know certainly when I after we talked, I saw my boys, they got an extra hug for sure when I walked in the door and mommy got a bit of a, and I love you here. And uh, no, it's such an important, valuable lesson to hear that um, we need to be more grateful. So, Cindy, I got to thank you for agreeing to do this. Uh, It it meant a lot to me, you know, and I think our listeners are going to take a lot away from our conversation. You've done amazing work increasing the awareness for pancreatic cancer, raising money for pancreatic cancer, for innovative treatments. You've inspired I know anybody that you've touched in the last seven years, like you can't help to be inspired to be stronger, fitter, you know. Like i am I'm gonna I'm gonna lift heavy after this. Boy, <laughs> I'll bet you like uh things are gonna get real. Um and uh, it's I'm so glad you agreed to do this. It meant the world to me.
1: Well, and, thank you for for asking me and having me on the show. I um I just really appreciate any opportunity that I have to share my story. And, um, I guess, I guess another really big thing for me in sharing my story is being able to offer hope to other pancreatic cancer survivors. Mm-hmm. When I was diagnosed, I, uh, you know, the first thing I do is go searching for survivors. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, couldn't find anybody that had lived more than a couple of years. um, I would go on the Pancreatic Cancer Canada website. At the time, they had a survivor's page. And um, all of the stories were actually written by friends and family members of people that who had pancreatic cancer and had passed. And I was like, wow, this is grim. Mm. Like, there isn't even anybody alive to write their own story and put it on this website. So I continued to search and... um I mean, to this day, I only know four people that are alive with pancreatic cancer more than two years after their diagnosis. So for me, it's really important for me to be able to get my story out. And that's why I'm very active on social media, especially Instagram, trying to reach out and get my story of survival out there so that for other people that get diagnosed, it offers hope, whether Mm -hmm. it's themselves or their family members. So Thank you for inviting me and uh, giving me this opportunity.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I got to ask, does John know I'm here?
1: Yes, he does.
0: Does he know that I was doing the interview topless? No, I didn't tell <laughs> okay, him Okay, that that's good. Um, <laughs> sorry, John. I just, it had to happen. Thanks. Again. <laughs> Thanks again, Cindy. Really appreciate it. Well, that was phenomenal. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. A couple last things in terms of lessons to be learned from this show. Once again, at all levels, administrative, from a clinician level, from the general public, you know, the value of staying active and being fit is paramount to recovery, to battling whatever illness that you have in front of you, to stay sane throughout your journey, to have that ability to be more resilient and deal with the mental side of things. Staying active will help with all aspects of that. The other lesson I would say is live your best life, as Cindy would say. Cherish your life. You know, life is short, and I hope we all don't need to go through such a horrible diagnosis to be able to realize that. So let's learn from Cindy and the others that have gone through such a tough time. So thanks once again. Follow us on Twitter at Quadcast. Follow us on our Facebook page. It never hurts to leave a rating or a five-star rating if you're, if you're up to it on iTunes or on Apple Podcasts. That helps grow the show. So um, thank you in advance. And any comments, you can leave at quadcast99 at gmail.com. All right, guys. Thanks again for listening.